So you're all very welcome to um, our Advent retreat series, the first um, of four weeks. The turkey must think that Advent is a great time of year, being fattened up, being loved, being cared for. But of course, the turkey doesn't know what's coming. Advent for you and I is a great time of year. At least can be a great time of year for family, for friends. And also that word Advent, meaning to come, of course, as we wait in anticipation to celebrate the birth um, of our Lord. However, we know that Advent and Christmas in general can be a time of sadness for people when we're remembering our lost loved ones. But as Mother Teresa says, loneliness, and this is something that can manifest itself at Christmas, loneliness, one of the greatest sufferings in the world, this can really manifest itself at Christmas. I remember as a novice, and we're given a choice um, to go for a few days break around Christmas when you're a novice. And I remember I chose to go to, to Galway um, at Christmas time. And I was up in, in Galway. I took the bus up um, on my own, um, booked into a and b And I remember on the bus ride up, it was stark to me. It was definitely stark to me about this idea of being alone at Christmas. Got to the B&B again, knew nobody, was on my own in the B&B, went to the movies um, on my own. And then what really struck me is when I went to a restaurant and the place was packed and there was a few tables uh, free and I asked for a table and because I was alone, I was refused uh, a table. So I got a sense of what it meant to be alone at Christmas. Not a nice feeling. Loneliness and Advent are linked. The reason we can link them is because at Advent, Advent, the next two weeks of Advent, the first two weeks of Advent, the first two Sundays of Advent, we're looking at the second coming of our Lord. And the church for that uses the word parousia. It's a Greek word, meaning uh, that the church uses for the second coming, but it also translates to the word presence. And so when we ever talk about the second coming of our Lord at Advent, we can also start to talk about God's presence in our lives. We know that after um, the fall, after Adam and Eve, after original sin, that God's presence left humanity. His presence was left to us in the sense of that he sustained us in life. That was his presence to us, him sustaining us in life. But that was about it until Moses came along. And God appeared to him in the burning bush and famously said, I am is with you. So God now returned to humanity. He was with Moses. And we know that our Lord was with the people of God, the Israeli people early on. We know out in the desert, in the symbolism, in the Ark of the Covenant, we had that symbolism of God's presence to the people with the Ten Commandments, with the rod of Aaron, with the manna. But also, we know that the presence of God was over the tent of meeting as the people wandered through the desert. But again, God was with them, wasn't in them. And then we come to the incarnation. God is with Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel, one of our most beautiful hymns at Christmas. We say Emmanuel, God translates, of course, to God is with us. So God's presence um, to us through the incarnation. This is what Jesus God incarnate walking beside us, not only with us, but through the cross. Through the cross, he won for us that great gift of God now dwelling within us, that great gift of life, the Holy Trinity, the Blessed Trinity, dwelling in us, sanctifying grace, 
dwelling within us, the presence of God within. And so how can we, how can we be lonely knowing this, knowing that God is within? These, the three persons of the Trinity are within. Jesus telling us in the Gospels, he calls us friends. He is our friend. Our friend dwells within us. In Revelations, Jesus, that beautiful picture, you might remember it. It's done by an Anglican priest of our Lord knocking at the door of the soul. And this beautiful piece of scripture in Revelations, our Lord knocking at the door of the soul, wanting to come in to his friend, to you and I, to dine, to sup with us. So this idea that um, we can't be alone, we can't be alone with the presence of God within us, the presence of God that we celebrate um, most profoundly at this time of year during Advent and at Christmas time. There is more given through the presence of God. So we have the presence of God within us, but what's also given is knowledge. Through God's presence to us, we're given knowledge. We look at the, the, in the Old Testament when a man, a husband, comes to know his wife. We're told he comes to know in that intimate union. Uh, we're, we're given the Jewish people use the words to know. And that word to know also in Hebrew translates to presence. So when we have, when somebody's in our presence, we come to know them better. And so for our Lord, we put our Lord in to the, into the presence in our lives. We ask the Lord, invite him in to be present to us. And that's when uh, we come to know the Lord better. We see it very clearly in the scriptures. We see it with the lady at the well. The lady at the well, first when she encounters Jesus at the well, she calls Jesus a Jew. And then the second um, recognition she calls Jesus, sir. And then, as the Lord is more present to her, she says that she, she recognizes a prophet in the Lord. And then finally, at the end of that passage in Scripture, we're told that she sees that Jesus truly is the Savior of the world. Again, the presence of the Lord, as spending time with the Lord in the presence of the Lord, gains us a depth and knowledge of who Jesus truly is and deepens our relationship with him deepens that relationship into a more intimate uh, relationship between friends. We have it again in the scriptures when there's many times in scripture when our Lord heals. We know that when he heals uh, blind men. But we have this one where the Pharisees question the blind man. They keep on questioning him. So they ask him, who healed you? And he says, the man, Jesus. And then he encounters again and he uh, calls Jesus um, a prophet. And then he recognizes Jesus as Lord. So three encounters with the Lord coming in and out of the Lord's presence. The blind man comes to know, comes to see Jesus for truly who he truly is. That presence of God, it's obvious to us when we say, where is God's presence? We don't probably reflect enough on God's presence within, but we know about God's presence in the Eucharist. So we go and pray before the blessed Eucharist and of course, that's where our Lord is waiting for us. But also, our Lord shows us that he comes, his presence is in the very ordinary. At Christmas in particular, we look at the crib, the crib, our Lord born in a manger. We know that Jesus comes to us in the very ordinary. And he says of himself in that great mysterious passage, when you fed me, when you clothed me, when you, when you sheltered me. So we see um, God, we encounter God's presence, we encounter the presence of Jesus in the other. 
the great mystery. And it's sometimes a struggle for us to see that. But Jesus tells us that he is mysteriously presence, present in the other. And there's still more to this presence of Jesus coming to us um, at Advent. I'm sure with children, if you have children or grandchildren, I know myself when I was younger, I would annoy my parents with telling them how so bored I was and that I needed to be stimulated in some way. Um, and even as adults, we have this, um, we can feel that boredom too. Remember, I'm sure you're familiar with the film uh, Zulu um, back, I think it was in, probably in the 70s. Um, Chief Butelezi, the actual tribal leader of uh, the Zulus, he actually appeared in the movie. And it's interesting because the word in the, in the Zulu language, the word for boredom um, and the word for loneliness are the same word. So the word for boredom and the word for loneliness are the same um, word. Again, looking back at what um, Mother Teresa talks about loneliness being one of the greatest sufferings. I think in today's world, boredom, this restlessness within people that people feel is a great suffering um, for people. And what we mean by boredom is the inability to sit still, the inability to stay, be satisfied with the normal the need to always to um, escape into some activity, that uh, some project or some work, or indeed to the phone or to the movies or to TV, um, something that will excite us, a distraction. Blaise Pascal, the great philosopher, writing hundreds of years ago, it's incredible, the insight he had. He said, the gr all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Just listen to that again. All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. And so, using the, the Zulu language, if we look at this, if we're not alone, we can't be bored. If we're in the presence of God, we can't be bored. And so, the remedy for boredom is contemplating God, allowing his grace to work through us, and contemplating God, um, letting his, in, going into his presence, and that can be, of course, in nature, in others, uh, acknowledging God within ourselves, in the Bible, in art, in prayer, and of course, most fundamentally, where we meet the presence of God is at Mass. And I know our focus at Mass, of course, is the Blessed Eucharist, but we can't forget that Mass is about worshipping God the Father, adoring God the Father, that atonement with God the Father. At Mass in the Eucharistic prayer number two, which is said most days, we say, or the priest says, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life. This is after the consecration. We offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. So at that moment, after the consecration, we're in the presence of God, in the presence of heaven, in the presence of all the communion of saints and the angels, in the presence of God. How could we be bored being in the presence of God, being in the presence of another? Again, if we're not lonely, we cannot be bored, recognising that God is present to us in that most fundamental 
part of our day or week um, at Holy Mass. The theologian um, Dr. Scott Hand is quite strong on this point um, in relation to the second coming yeah, and the, the Eucharist because if we're, we talk about the Eucharist as the real presence and if we translate parousia, which can mean second coming, but it can also mean presence, then what we're saying about our Lord is that the Eucharist is Jesus coming again to us. Jesus coming again to us. Isn't that what the second coming is? Jesus coming again to us. And this is what we celebrate at Mass in the Blessed Eucharist, is Jesus coming truly um, present to us. And as we receive Jesus, Jesus coming present to us and in us. And so Advent becomes that time for us to reflect for a renewal of our love and devotion to the Blessed Eucharist. And so we looked at the second coming in our baptism, the second coming in the Eucharist. And so finally, let's look at the second coming in the context of the final judgment, the parousia as it is normally understood. Again, the first two weeks of Advent, the church looks at the second coming and the final two weeks of Advent, the, Lord, the church is looking at the birth um, of our Lord. So we have two judgments. So when we die, uh, we're judged, our souls are judged, and we go to heaven, um, purgatory, heaven, or we go uh, to hell. It's a private judgment. It's between ourselves and God. The second judgment, which we call the second coming, is going to be a moment in history, the final moment. Um, in the history of the world as we know it. And God, instead of being a, a private judgment, it now will be a public judgment. So all the good we've done and all the not so good we've done, the sin we've committed, that will all be revealed to the world. And we, at that moment, of course, we will re receive our resurrected body. Nothing will change from the first judgment. We're, if we're um, heaven, hell or purgatory, of course, purgatory, we're being purified, hopefully, um, and we will go to heaven. But nothing changes in, this, in the second judgment. It's just made public and we receive um, our glorified bodies. The Catechism of the Catholic Church is very interested in on this second coming. It says, before Christ's second coming, the church must pass through a final trial that will shake the fate of many believers the persecution that accompanies her pilgrimage on earth will unveil the mystery of iniquity in the form of a religious deception, offering men an apparent solution to their problems at the price of an apostasy, apostasy from the truth. The supreme religious deception is that of the Antichrist. So the church is recognizing that there will come a moment in history where there will be a great persecution of the church caused by the Antichrist. The Antichrist is not particularly, mightn't be a person, but it'll be something. It could be a person or it could be a movement, an ideology, but the Antichrist will cause this great persecution within the church. The Lord our Lord tells us in Matthew 24, 14, he tells us that this won't happen until all the Gentiles are preached to. This great commission of the Lord that we need to preach the gospel to all nations. So we're told that the second coming won't happen until um, all the Gentiles, the gospel has been preached to all the Gentiles. 
there can be this in um, certain circles, can be a desire for the second coming to come right now. People wanting this second judgment to come right now, the final judgment of our Lord. It reminds me of, and I'm sure it's going to be played at Christmas, that movie, The Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory. And we have, of course, uh, Veruca Salt in there. I'm sure many of you remember um, the, uh, the film. And her father is always giving in to her demands. And she famously goes down the rubbish chute singing that song, I Want It Now. She's a spoiled child, always getting what, her, what she wants, demanding that it, she wants it now. And we can have that, I suppose, fall into that temptation of wanting the second coming to come now. Personally, um, I would prefer more time to prepare. As our Lord tells us in the Gospels, he tells us to stand awake, be ready for the coming of the Lord, to change our lives, to move away from sin and uh, towards righteousness, towards a virtuous living. So I think it's good that we have Advent and we have Lent, these two times of penance in the church's calendar, a time for us to reflect on our lives, our spiritual lives, our inner lives, and try and remedy those things that are contrary to God's will. Lots of preparation for Christmas. I know here the girls in the kitchen tell us that it's Beamish that will go into the puddings, not Guinness, as it would in Dublin, of course. There's trees to be bought, there's cribs to go up, prezies, um, of course, to be bought as well, and maybe a letter to, to Santa. But also, we need to prepare our souls for Christmas. And so it's always the church encourages confession at Christmas, a good time to prepare our souls for the coming of the Lord. And so finally, my dear brothers and sisters, we'll pray. Come, Lord Jesus, be more present in my life. Help me to come to know you more deeply as I spend more time in your presence, your presence that dwells within me, but also before the blessed Eucharist. Give me the grace to contemplate your beauty in my neighbor, in nature, in art, and most profoundly in the Mass. Help me to prepare for Christmas by making a good confession. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, O come Emmanuel.